Hello, everyone. How you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. I am here with a just a delightful uh, person for the guest today. Someone that as I was, I was trying to think through this, um, it feels like I've known her for a long time, but it really is has been about only I say only, but only about a year. But it feels like, gosh, man, it just feels like. It's just been part of uh, my my education ecosystem for much longer. So I think that this shows uh, the power of of her presence and her insights and some of her leadership and collaboration that she does, uh, not just with me, but just watching that happen with so many education educators and administrators and districts all over. Um, and so I, we're in for a, a real treat here today. And the topic that we were talking about before we hit record is one that I think is, is really pressing for a lot of us in this day and age. And no, I'm not going to say chat GPT, even though that <laughs> is all the buzz. And yes, that might pop up here. It's the thing, but really we are coming together to talk about this, this, this idea of like the human element and, and not losing sight of that. So that's what I'm really excited for. And so my um, guest today is none other than Susanna Johnson. So welcome to the show. And Thank I'm you. so excited to dive into this, but before we do, for those that don't know who you are, um, and they should, and um, they're going to want to get to know you as soon as this is all over, who are you? What do you do? And uh, what in the world do you got going on? Man, that's a big, big question. It is. It thanks is. so much, Aaron. I'm so pleased to, to have this conversation with you. And just even, like you said, it's. Um, I feel like we have known each other for a much longer time because we've been swirling in the chaos, which is yeah. my my sweet spot as well. And so we have that in common. Um it's um so I'm Susanna Johnson and I am I guess the number one title for me is I'm the owner and founder of Individualized Realized, uh, my own company to support educators in developing and implementing truly individualized learning practices. Um, so taking it beyond differentiation and personalized learning, student-driven learning practices, all the way to the place where students are themselves creating their curriculum and moving through the work um, collaboratively as coworkers in that process. So that's that's my main gig, um, but I also partner with several other um, organizations. I'm a co-founder with Impact, um, which is a new model of learning that flips the the time in the classroom with the time out doing things. Um, I also, excuse me, partner heavily with What School Could Be, which is how a lot of people know me and how you and I have gotten to know each other over time. So um, with What School Could Be, I'm the director of coaching and curriculum. And what that has turned out to be is, in addition to helping to build the wonderful community that is almost 14,000 people strong now and over 50,000 connections globally, um, we it's making space for educators to come together and collaborate and, and share ideas, share research, share problems, and, and su get support for all of that. Um, but what I do for that is really get to be on the ground a lot, working directly with educators and on the ground being virtually, but also actually in person now that we're, the world is open back up. So that's pretty fun. And then um, I have a couple of other partnerships globally where I'm working with folks to try to move the needle forward in how we leverage learning as the way to move move ahead as humans right it's it's really the global goal for me is like how are we humaning and so that's that's where it stands so it's kind of a lot of different things but 
what they all have in common is that my number one thing every day is getting out of bed to think about how can I live in a world of better thinkers and mm -hmm. critical thinking as a skill set is something that we could be teaching. And I, that's my tether. That's my, my foundation, but it's also about connecting at that very human level because every educator, as well as every learner and every human out on the street shows up wherever they are, however they are as themselves. And the more we can tap into what's needed to be ourselves and be authentic and continue to be curious and imaginative peacefully and in a harmonious way, that's that's kind of what I'm all about and trying to do. So it's a, a joyful day most days to be able to connect with people at that real level. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think just all those those touch points, those connections and the various avenues in which you're doing that work, I think just gives you such a, a a broad perspective to see regardless of where people live, um, you know, whether that's stateside or or elsewhere and whatever our job title is and whatever variables we're dealing with, even though we have probably in general the education system has more in common than not, but we all have our 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 local concerns and issues that that sometimes can create some challenges. You know, you get to see a lot of insights on how people are are still making things happen. Um, and before we dive into that, um, because I really do want to unpack that a little bit, you know, I, I am curious a little bit on your your origin story. So you didn't just wake up one day and have all those various titles and, <laughs> and have the opportunities to connect and network with so many different people and schools and locations and all the stuff that you've got to. And so um, I've been loving asking guests this, this question, you know, how did you get to kind of this point where you're in this, this position where you get to impact a lot of people in a lot of places and, you know, co-learn and co-facilitate and all those, those, those awesome collaboration opportunities that you have. It's, um, it's a great question. And it's, it's fun one to answer too, because I think uh, if you'd asked me that question 10 years ago, I would think about the work path and what got me there. Um, and also feel like for a long time as an educator, that. I was the outsider because I didn't do the traditional, I didn't go through education um, at right away out of college. Like that wasn't my first degree and my first choice. It wasn't my first career even. Um, but I um, am finding now that those of us who are trying to push the edge of the systems that we are all, we all know for sure don't work anymore, that my story is much more common um, and there are a lot more people like me, which is to say, to start with the fact that school didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. I did not enjoy school. I was not a good student. I grew up in Northern Illinois, which we have in common. So I have this, you know, that, that background. And I had a, I can definitely point to many teachers who were wonderful and good people and who saw me and really cared about me as a human being, as well as my, my learning and my capacity. But I just didn't, the whole system systemic structure didn't work for me. It was very, it was just too boring. Um, and it didn't feel relevant. It didn't feel connected. It didn't answer any of the questions that were really in my head, even at a very young age. And so um, when it comes to this, this thing about really looking at everybody as an individual and making sure that we can grow as we are in our best way and, and to thrive, um, I actually did my first individualized course myself when I was in school. And I forgot about that for a long time, that that was something that I had, I was an avid reader and very interested in and read everything I could get my hands on. And so by the time I got to 10th grade high school English, 
I had read everything on all of the reading lists for all of the courses all the way up through. There was not a course that had a book I hadn't read. And I was talking about that with the um, head of the English department and my principal and saying, like, I don't, this is, I've already read all these books. You want me to write a paper on each one of them right now? I will. Can I do something else? Mm. And had a, a, a passion. It was, you know, here we are, it's the late 80s, early 90s. And I'm um, thinking a lot about uh, what it means to be becoming who I was and what it meant to be a woman. So feminist literature was really interesting to me. So I made up a course that I did that. And I actually executed it in a uh, uh, janitor's closet <laughs> across the hall from the <laughs> English <laughs> English department, head department, um, his, his room. And um, and did my first individualized course there and then went on to college. I studied physiology. I was in that um, industry doing research and um, leading um, in terms of cardiac rehab and uh, personal training, all the different things that are related to that for over a decade and along the way managing staff because of just my jobs. And the way that I got into teaching was that I kept getting into jobs where I was a manager and I was very good at whatever I was doing, but it was always, it always felt a little bit unfulfilling. Mm. And so um, along the way, I ended up in Hawaii and there was an emergency hire at the time when I was kind of like in between or like thinking about leaving a job and feeling not connected to what I was doing, which is true for almost always. There's almost always an emergency hire. And at this point, that's true almost everywhere, right? right. So if you have a degree yeah. and you jump through it, yeah. In Hawaii, they do a great job. There's a, It's a very long involved process to get into this, but I got through the process of becoming an educator. And it was at the urging of somebody close to me who said, you know, what did you like about all of your jobs as a manager? And I was like, well, I like helping people bring out the best in themselves. I like it when my team thrives personally and collectively. I don't like the numbers come if that happens. That's not, yeah. that's not the hard part. It's the hard part is getting somebody to believe in themselves and to find what it is that's going to help them keep their growth edges at front. Right. So, um, so teaching was the kind of, maybe this might be the thing and got very lucky. Um, people from Hawaii will know the name, but John Soso is the person who took a chance on me and said, okay, you've never been in a classroom, but I'm going to give you a job anyway. <laughs> <laughs> see how this goes and I walked in and you know scared out of my skull 36 kids first hour it was a health class and so I'm like I know the topic but I I don't know what this means to you know handle a group of kids in a very difficult neighborhood in Honolulu so it was not um, a posh school by any means and by the end of that first hour I was like oh man this is it I just came home this is my this is where I've always been meant to be because I saw something in those young adults where that I had been missing in all the other jobs, which is they still had some of that curiosity. They still had that inspiration and they had that desire to, they, they were practicing adults, right? And so they were pushing their edges. And I like that. I like it when people are a little spunky and when they're you know kind of pushing back a little bit, that's something that's very interesting to me because that's when interesting ideas come. That's when yeah. we become who we're really going to be. And that sense of identity has been at the core of it, right? So um, long story short is that then coming around to education, so then I was like, okay, this is the thing I need to do. How am I going to keep doing this? Well, I should probably go back to school, all of those things. But in the midst of it, I um, I took some time to subs, like all over. So I have been in classrooms from preschools all the way up through um, post-secondary levels, right? And in subjects, every single subject you can think of, I've been in. I've 
absolutely non-math person who has taught a calculus class, right? So like it's this been this incredible, my very first journey into figuring this out, I got to see all the different levels and all the different ideas and how education worked from a lot of different perspectives. And so that was, I think, really important for me to understand what kind of an educator I wanted to be. Um, and in the midst of that, I ended up in a long-term sub-gig at a school um, called Assets in Honolulu, which is a school for kids who have learning differences, but also incredible potential and capability, right? So um, my specialty was working with the twice exceptional kids, which I didn't know that I was that because that wasn't a thing in the 80s, but I definitely was that kid where they really have those gifted um, mindsets, but also something that gets in the way of the traditional classroom that doesn't make sense to them. Right. So that was my sweet spot. I found this great place. Um, and really early on, the differentiation was built in and I was very blessed to be trained in that whole process by the school and experts and um, professional development of like what it means to really differentiate. And I think since that was how I really got my training as an educator, that that made it easy for me to see that everybody thinks and learns differently. And that's how it should always be for everybody. So that kind of became a quest before I even knew that it was going to be my quest and my reason for what I do every day now. Um, did go back to school, got the master's degree in instructional education, and in the midst of that was playing with this concept um, of hybrid classroom mindsets where kids could be really driving their own learning, and then we would occasionally come together for some common understanding and um, did some research around that, my action research for my master's program and, and put it together. And that became what was my ultimate legacy in the classroom, which was developing and implementing 100% individualized curriculum in the classroom. And that's, um, it was really born out of being in the classroom and looking out and having my agenda, the things I cared about. I was, it was a, I remember the moment very clearly, I, I was teaching a philosophy class as one of the English classes. And, um, and I am deeply passionate about it. And I was so excited about whatever it was I was talking about and um, looked out and saw a couple of faces, you know, that the thing we see, which is they were not engaged, they were bored, or they were just like, whatever, this is not interesting to me. And I just, I remember very distinctly pausing whatever I was doing and saying, this isn't interesting to you, is it? <laughs> and a couple, couple of my brave... <laughs> Very, you know, the uh, the chaotic minds that come, they, you know, probably one of my deeply ADHD kids said, no, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. This is not okay. And I was like, okay, let's talk about that. Like, what does that mean? And then we just spent the rest of the, the time talking about why it sucked and <laughs> what they really wanted for learning. And I went home and stayed up all night, like flipping my whole mindset and how can I fix this? Because from that moment on, I could never be in the classroom and not want to see smiles and engagement and faces. And very quickly, it was easy to personalize more things. Well, like, what do you care about? And here's some of these big philosophies. And how do we find our way into this? How do we connect ourselves to these big concepts? And what are the access points? And what are these big questions? There are millions of big philosophical questions out there. Which of those is kind of interesting to you? Let's find a way to go down that path for you. And the minute I started personalizing was when we all started having a really good time. Not just them, me too. It was so much more fun for me when it wasn't my agenda that I moved into the space of like, what would happen if they just built the agenda? What would happen if we, you know, and the more um, flexibility, freedom, voice choice, all of that that I gave them, the better the learning was too. They're, you know, they're 
writing was better. Their conversations were were deeper. They were producing work that was so much more in depth and well documented because they cared about it. I was like, well, this is easy. <laughs> Let's do this. And and um, you know, pushed. And thankfully, I was with an administration that um, you know, it took them longer to get there. It was an eight year journey before I was really doing it. But um, they were letting me incrementally incorporate it into the classroom um, along the way. And very trusting and saying like, okay, Susanna, what's your crazy idea for next year? I'm like, okay, I want to do more. I'm going right. to keep going more. And they they were seeing that the kids were happy and that they wanted to be in my class and that the work was good. And the parents were seeing that too. So they're like, okay, they were, they were letting me do a lot of that because they saw the results. And then when it came time to really do this 100% individualized work, it was pretty clear early on by that, you know, everybody was a little nervous that week before I started, it was you know, you got that teacher prep week and everybody's getting their copies ready and getting their books and setting up their room and doing all that stuff. I had this whole plan of I was going to do none of that because I didn't want to have my my own preconceived notions in in the room when they came into the room. Mm -hmm. So I was really nervous and twiddling my thumbs. I just spent the week walking around helping other people hang pictures or make copies, getting coffee. I was just like running around doing things, handing off the curriculum I had been teaching all those years to other people who needed new stuff. That's what I did. And then just sat there nervously waiting. And the kids walked in and they're like, you know, what's this class? What's the syllabus? And I was like, I don't know. You tell me. Let's go. <laughs> and moved yeah. into this, this process of the kids really driving it and building it for themselves. Um, and it got fun really quickly. And I think we were all nervous until that first round of parent-teacher conferences. At my school, we did three a year. So we had a fall conference and we sat down. And when the parents were like, so what is this class? It's independent study. I'm like, mm, well, no. Here, turning to the student and saying, tell them what your class is, because every kid had a different class. They were all on their own. Some were there for English, some for math, some for science, mm. all different kinds of, of topics in the room. And they're like, OK, so I'm here for my science credit and I'm actually doing this is my ecology curriculum that I built and put together. And the student slides it across the table and it's all their words, their ideas, their work aligned with the standards because that was part of my process, making sure they had some steps and deadlines ready to go. Like they knew what they were working on and when they needed to work on it and produce things, um, early feedback loops and protocols where they could show like, you know, what was working, what wasn't and how they were using that to um, modify whatever their plans were. And the, the kids and the parents, like the kids confidence and knowing themselves and their learning was so powerful. But then watching the parents too say, wow, my kid knows this class. This isn't the teacher saying, here's what we're doing and we're going to be on World War II by Christmas. It was my student is doing this and they are driving their own learning. And they it just worked and it got really exciting and really, really fun. And so um, it was very um, liberating for all of us. Yeah. And liberated learning is a concept I don't think we talk enough about. Of like, how can we do this in a way that we feel that freedom that we all want and crave, but also that pulls us in and drives us forward and is gives us that intrinsic motivation. So, sorry, that was a very long answer to the question. No, but it's this is it's what great. led me to it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And then, yeah, there's so much the there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, just yeah. as you were talking, I mean, just you, you I mean, even earlier when you were talking about your your current work and that kind of through line or how things connect, and you see the same thing happen. Like, I, you know, I, I can't help but think what would have happened in your life or pathway had you not had that opportunity to have your, your own course that you're able to create in the janitor's closet. Um, 
you know, that probably would not go well in today's society as it should, that you're going to do some, uh, some, some, some feminist emp- empowerment literature and stuff in a, in a, and I'm janitor's in a janitor's closet, but know. you know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta break free somewhere. Yeah. Um, and then to have that spark come full circle and know that that's what kids need in a, in a, in a learning environment that will allow them to thrive. And, you know, as you're talking through that, it, it resonates so much. I we just did a, a, a zoom session with Zoe Weil, who's part yes. of, who's the founder of the Institute of Humane Education. Yeah. And she was talking with some fourth graders uh, with a class that I'm helping and they're looking at how to be a solutionary and yes. won't go into all that project. It's going to be awesome. But yeah. we're, we're getting into this. And she said something really powerful and it, it completely resonates with your journey and those kids that weren't engaged. And she was talking about how, you know, I had, she was talking to the kids about how do you find your skills? Like, what are you good at? And sometimes that's not always the things that are measurable that happen in school. There's other right. things that are really important that are vital to success of anything. Right. And she was talking about how she was really good in sales and she was like a telemarketer, you know, back when people, well, they still do it, but now it's all machines and robots, but yeah. you know, you call people up and she was like, I was really good at it. I had a skill, but I didn't like it. Yeah. And, and so I, I pulled it up because I've, I've written this down and I've probably shared it like 30 times in the last like 72 hours. But her phrase was, you know, once you have these two things, capacity and the will, your ideas become a reality. And I think about how you were just talking, like you were really good at some stuff, but wasn't fulfilling. And then boom, there it was. And that will and the skill sets come together. And the same thing with those students, right? When they get to have a little voice and have that autonomy, and they also are accountable by what they create, it all comes together and it, it changes things. It changes the nature of, of having a purpose and doing the work and it being meaningful while also you're not going rogue and not teaching standards and doing the things that are, you yeah. know, that are yeah. still within the system. <laughs> Yeah. It's, 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 and it's just bonkers that you, you had that opportunity when here we are fast forward in the state of Iowa, like we can do that. And it's, it is a tough mindset to get people to see right. how to pull that off when like, but the bell's still got to go off every yeah. 45 minutes or whatever it might be, yes, you know? Yeah. yeah whatever the system, that, the barriers is just, that people hold to. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, hard. it's just, it's just crazy to think that, man, what would have happened had, someone not giving you that chance, you know, as a learner right. to be able then to go around and impact so many others. And if I may, so um, yeah. what school could be, we partner with Institute for Humane Education and Julie oh, Metzler yeah. and I have been doing this. What is the purpose of school conversation? Because that actually helps to open up. And so it's been a series through the community um, that you may have seen, but also we have a like a packet, you know, slideshows and questions to hold those conversations with any group, not just educators, with your friends, with your family members of like, why do we do this thing called school? And what does that mean? Um, and obviously it connects with building a world full of solutionaries because that's a great mindset and it's a great thing. And also I'm just laughing, imagining Zoe being a telemarketer. It's amazing. Know, and of, of course she'd be great at it, but yeah, she, she didn't, but the loving it, right? Like, of <laughs> yeah. course I could sell anything. I didn't love it. That's not, right. you know, an interesting thing. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't help us as humans. And I know that's where she comes from too, right? Yeah. But this is what, what are we really doing as humans? And I think what we're seeing right now in terms of trends and, and this is, um, it's globally. It's not just here in the U.S. Uh, as a result of some of the difficulties that we have with our political landscape, but it really is true globally of there's a fear because my generation and above 
are the you know people in, in power and also raising all of the kids and there's a lot of um, barriers that come along with that mindset of well first of all I'm successful so it worked for me well why wouldn't it work for my kid I want my kid to go to school and the best school and get the best scores and go to the best college so that they can have a great job and have success and I don't know if they think about that because in terms of what they're really talking about is like financial success or security yeah. right yeah. And yet you ask any parent what they want for their kid truly. And they really like, I just want my kid to be happy. I want them to be themselves. I want them to have a good life and feel safe and, and have good relationships. Right. And yet they're driving the systems and their kids into this space of it's really all about just numbers. And that's not very human. Right. And this is where we get to what you and I keep talking about of, of the space of how are we developing humans? We are in the business of human development period. That's, you can call it education, you can call it school, call it whatever you want to. We are in the business of human development. And so we've got to really think about what kind of humans are we developing? We've got all these terrible problems in the world that we can't seem to figure out. My generation and above can't figure out. And um, because we created them. And so we're, we're too biased and we have too many weird things in our head about it. Of like, I have to walk back all these routines and habits I've had for a lifetime to be able to move to solutions. But we're doing a disservice because we're trying to educate our kids in the way that we were educated, which didn't work for a lot of us anyway, and also has created this world full of problems, not a world full of solutions. So already there's that disservice. And then not for nothing, but it is an entirely different world than the world that I grew up in, let alone the 1950s and 60s. This is a whole different world that kids are dealing with. And so when we are asking kids to learn the dates and facts of World War II, and I promise I'm not picking on social studies teachers because I am no. a humanities teacher, <laughs> but it's it's an easy one to get to. But when we're asking yeah. them to learn and understand the dates and, and facts of World War II, the names and the battles and whatever else from a book on a test and memorization and all of that, it's the, it, there is not a kid alive who can say like, yeah, that's a good idea. That's relevant because we can look it up. We have our devices. We have all this stuff. We can get the names and dates and facts in a heartbeat. And you can give those things as long as they're part of the conversation around what is the context? Why did we go to war? What happened as a result of that? What came out of us? What was that moment for human evolution? And how did we how did we grow or not grow or regress because of it, right? And that's what's important so that we can continue to think about this, right? And you brought up um, the thing we're we're not talking about today, which is Chat GPT, <laughs> but but it does connect to something that I talk about a lot um, with how to get schools to transform their processes, right? With um, Capone Siadi, our executive director, and I are doing a lot of these conversations with schools where we're trying to get people to dream beyond the horizon. Because the reality of the pace of change, it's 10 to the 10th power in terms of technology and, and, and change and where that's at, it's so fast. There's no way we can predict what is going to be coming down the pipeline. And right now, we are not preparing kids for 2022, let alone 2050, <laughs> right? And that was a year ago, right? Yeah. They're not prepared for last year, let alone in 10 years or 20 years when they're going to graduate, right? The kids who are in second, you know, the class of 2032 we're not getting them ready. They're yeah. not ready for what's coming down the pipe if we keep doing what we're doing. And so it, we're in this moment where we've got to find a way to get everybody to lighten up a little bit on the systems and the structures and say, okay, we're scared. We know it's going to be messy. We don't know for sure all the right answers. But what we do know is that we can. we have two choices. We can either move towards 
potentials and change and innovation and try new things beyond the horizon, stuff we can't even see or imagine, or we can in less than five years just be glorified babysitters because we're already that in a lot of cases. And that's not what education's supposed to be. That's not what the business of human development is. It's not about making sure somebody just, you know, gets through their day or whatever. And to that end, quite frankly, because of all the problems and the way that we're not thinking about the humans we're developing, safety isn't even a guaranteed thing anymore with schools, right? right. We've got too many, too many terrible things happening. And so um it's very important for us to think about this moment as our opportunity to evolve as humans beyond this, right? And the the chat GPT conversation that I'm having a lot these days is what happens if we just let the machines do the stuff that we don't want to do? Like, yeah, like yeah. give me the jets in life, get somebody to do my dishes for me and my laundry and clean my floors and, you know, do the driving, get the groceries, whatever else. What am I going to do with those extra five hours every week? How can we increase our capacity as humans individually and collectively if we just let go of all the automated stuff that we don't need to be doing anymore? We could be doing so much more. We could be solving some of these big problems. We could be imagining and dreaming. We could be creating art and possibility and, and beauty in the world that we have never even imagined because we haven't let ourselves really go there yet. So let the machines do that stuff. Let's take those extra five hours each a week and dream and go and thrive, right? Have better yeah. human connection, have better opportunity, get ourselves really, everybody's just coming off a of spring break. You were talking about it. Sometimes you just need to sit still and be where you are and think about like how to, how to live to the, yeah. the best of each day and each moment. And that's way more important than adhering to a bell schedule or a set of tests that have absolutely no bearing. I mean, we are 30 years into the research on all of that. Why are we still testing? It's absolutely not related to how you are as a human. To go to any job, ask any of those people who are, you know, really like we should, our test score should be higher. If they're not in education or work, working for the college board, ask them about their job and the last time they had to take a test at their job. It's just an absurd, like, well, I never do. Or maybe they did to get into the job or they had to, you know, pass a certification. That's the last time they took a test. But we are not, that's just an absurd way to even think about things anymore. That is not evidence of growth. It's not evidence of human and it's certainly not evidence of learning, right? So, yeah, you know, it's so funny is just as you were talking there at the end, my, uh, both my kids are out of their main, main sport season, um, which means, you, you need to be working. And so we've been trying to find jobs for, for them. And I mean, there's jobs everywhere. Uh, maybe not so much if you're under the age of 18, but like my son, we were, we were just looking through that and we've, we've subscribed to these job posting boards, whatever. And even our, like our, our post office, um, it starts off at like 25, 60, you can get paid up to $38 an hour, wow. you know, and whatever. And it's, uh, he has to be 18 years old and a U.S. citizen. And yeah. like you get paid to to be trained. You know what I mean? Like I, I think about these things and I'm, I'm not here to say like we don't need college and that's your thing. But I, I was telling him like, man, you could be right now in high school. You're 18. Like you can go make some like crazy fat cash as an 18 year old because you exist like i like i don't like i don't want to downplay the job because i'm sure I no mean, there, there's yeah a lot yeah there's it. a lot of good but I, i'm yeah, like I'm, holy cow like you know and as we think about just just all the stuff the human element i think about the kids and just all you know 
going back to what you were talking about, I, I, I have a sixth grade daughter I have a sophomore and I have a senior. And so it's, it's, and I've been working in some of these schools for a couple of years and some of these projects. And, you know, I look at like my daughter's age group or, you know, her kind of generation, my youngest, and, you know, you got two years of, of, of COVID depending on however you were handled, doesn't matter. And some pretty monumental years of development. And, when we were doing a project on survival, I was I was able to be in her classroom this year. Almost every group, if we were working with NASA, all their projects kind of all came down to this concept of like mental health in some shape or form. Right. Even though we were solving for yeah. how do we live on an uh, on the moon, because as you're we're talking Chat GPT and the disruption of that. I think about the disruption of COVID. I think right. about when we brought NASA in, and he's talking about by 2030, when these kids graduate high school, we're going to have infrastructure on the moon. And I'm sitting there going, "What are we doing as a system? <laughs> you know, yeah. not that school and not like that thing. I'm just as the bigger ecosystem of education. Like we can't even figure out how to be like nice local." citizens let alone yeah. global citizens let alone right. space citizens right and, yeah what and happens? now we've we got all these, land on the moon yeah. together it's gonna be chaos yeah, yeah. And, and not I the good kind about, no <laughs> i think about that human element piece you know we were talking a little bit i wasn't able to go to deeper learning and you were there last week at the time of this recording right i think about that power of just coming together and to me the energy of that conference unlike a lot of other conferences is there is lots of space for just people to come together naturally like they i think that is like the the golden ticket of that place there are great learning sessions not to take away from that but it's not a conference where every 45 minutes i'm plugging in and i'm going to sit down and you know get sit and get here's 100 tools in 55 minutes it's and i and i feel productive because i use one i mean they do a nice job of they don't force it but boy you can't you can't not like go to that conference and like not interact with people outside of like whoever you came with. Like it just naturally happens. And I think about that with my, my children, the power of that. I think about that space to be able to do those things. And then these tools like chat GPT, um, like you said, it allows us to cut out some of the low level stuff. So we can get into deeper thinking and learning to deeper relationship building, which enhances this like, how to be a just a, a good human like we can right. put more time into that and i've been racking my head around like i don't think anybody disagrees with it you know i don't think if i were to say it to any person they would be like no you know what we don't, we really don't need that but like i feel you say that but that's not necessarily true in i know parts, i right? know yeah i know i know it's I'm, a war zone in a lot of schools in this it, in our country it, right it now, very right? much is yeah, it like, very much is yeah and how many don't even know about like these tools they don't even know about the disruptions even happening yeah but like how do we get like people to see that like i think about like so many of the people i work with i don't know if it's a lack of confidence where they're unsure to let go like what do i do like do i even know who i am um, because like, we just didn't talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like, I grew up, you just, you, you just swallow your pride. You'd be tough and you figure it out. Like that's, right. that's, that's what you do. And I don't know, like my head spins in that, like the need yeah. and the kids want it. And, um, well, I mean, I think yeah. that, yeah, it's a generational, if I may jump in here and especially, and I, I want to come back around to the, yeah. the thread of deeper learning in that human aspect, but it's when I think about growing up, if, 
for me, because I was such an avid reader and also really interested in the world around me, my you know small town in Illinois just wasn't quite enough for me. And I was always paying attention to bigger stuff. So that meant I was watching the news and I was reading things. Now, kids are aware of every single atrocity that happens in the world True. at any given moment in a heartbeat, right? So they're grappling with there's there just have more information about what's wrong like I knew what was wrong if I was reading the paper or watching the news and doing you know like in a, in a way that maybe some of my peers didn't but it wasn't something it, you had to actively pursue it now mm. it comes at you whether you want it or not you're going to hear about the terrible stuff whether you want to or not and you're going to know about it and because there's just so much more awareness of the bad things that are happening and we've we've all we've grown as humans without really paying attention to what it means to develop as a, a global society and so we're not doing a good job of being thinking about harmony thinking about peace thinking about taking care of each other on that political scale that big landscape but when so we're, we have to really start to now think about from the age the kids are aware and can read and can see and can consume some of that information. We have to give them the tools to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. And we have to be including that as part of the a piece of the puzzle that, that makes sense. And so you talk about deeper learning at, um, which is at high tech high here in San Diego. And um, there, this conference is, it slows it down and you do deep dives. And what's interesting is that you and I were talking about how the theme I was seeing was about all of these, these human aspects and what does it mean to be a good human? That's what people were talking about. But the workshops that they were in were pedagogical. There was the full chat GPT conversation with Laura McBain out of the D school and design thinking practices. And she's a futurist, right? There was um, Julie Metzler from the Institute for Humane Education. there talking about solutionaries and looking at how do you break down problems and, and build for that and teach those skill sets, right? Um, there were, all, of course, all of the project-based learning practices. And so there are these great opportunities for people to practice the pedagogy. but the conversation everybody was having in between around before and after all of these sessions was it's you know really about taking care of the hearts and souls of our our learners and making sure that we make that i i did a workshop with um the couple of what school could be team members on the caring and connected community pieces and how are we creating culturally responsible classrooms or culturally responsive classrooms it's a very big hot topic for a lot of people right now and the we know that people are coming from a lot of different places and a lot of different institutional mindsets and you know where you're coming from where you're headed it can be really hard because you might be up against an entire team full of people who don't think we should be talking about this but the bottom line is like you said we should we we not should we have to be thinking about are we empathetic are we taking care of the hearts and souls of every learner at every age. It's our job to help them develop as humans, not just to make sure they know the facts and dates of World War II. They have to understand why that was so bad and, and how do we not get there again? It was World War II came out of a lot of fear of you know, being my power being taken away from certain parts of the world. It came from a place of reaction to other places doing things that were atrocious and harmful to other humans in a grand scale. And we have all of that happening right in front of us right now. And if we're not talking about how do we become empathetic citizens and humans, then we're really doing a disservice, right? And when you say like you can't, there, there can't possibly be somebody who doesn't want that for their kids. 
how many states do we have right now where it's bad? That's we have a, an incredible, incredible school in Florida. We've, you've heard me talk about it, Verde Eco School. Ayana Verde is this very sweet, beautiful school in Melbourne, Florida. She works a lot with NASA too. And so I know that you guys have a lot of common projects um, and things that you're doing. But it's right there in their mission and vision statements, empathy, and it is built from the ground up and it is all over. You walk into that campus, you first and foremost feel good and calm because it's beautiful and gentle. And it's a lot of they do a lot of growing projects and a lot of um, connecting to the land and the community around them. And but you see these spaces from the low level all the way up through the high school level where students can go and take a break to get in touch with whatever they might be thinking or feeling these incredible empathetic spaces. It's pictures in the lower levels so that they can start to identify those feelings and start to put words with those. And in the higher levels, it's spaces for more conversation and um, just a little bit of separation and connection with nature. Um, but they're, you know, under the gun with what's happening in Florida mm. and, and getting a lot of, like people are coming after them because they have the word empathy in their mission and vision statement. That's not okay with me. And so when we are talking about where we need to be and how we need to be bringing this human element into learning, um, it's just it's just not even an option, right? I just came from a, a very incredible week in Hakuba, Japan. It was the first ever Hakuba Forum where they brought together 40 education thinkers from around the world. Um, a lot. I'm so grateful to have been in the room. I'm not sure why, because there were just incredible <laughs> minds and powerful people in the room. But it was how do we design schools for well-being for the future? for now and for the future but and so starting from this place of like what are we doing and when you talk about this like moonshot stuff and and you know the new team that's going up to the moon was just announced this week yeah how do we how do we imagine living in another place if we're going to start over how could we do this in a way that would make sure that we're all taken care of and that our human needs are met first and that we can thrive in those realms because that's where we can then get to that place I was talking about before of so much more human capacity. Machines can do so much for us. Let them do it. This is going to be great. Let's go. And then how can we do this, right? Let ChatGPT write your curriculum. <laughs> Just that's do right, it. Yeah. Take yeah. that out of it because that's going <laughs> to free you up as an educator to be able to connect more with your learners and do something that is going to be more spectacular and more interesting. So even a teacher who's in their classroom and saying, I don't, that's too much. It's overwhelming. I don't know how to step into that. I'm scared. It's not what I did. So I don't want to do it. I don't want to have pushback from parents. Um, there are a lot of reasons why teachers are not able to move forward or why administrators are not letting their schools move forward. And unfortunately, why our legislators are not moving education forward. It's all coming from this place of the fear of the unknown um, and based in like, well, I don't get it. So I don't want to try it. Yeah. But all the best moments in human history have come out of stuff that we never could have imagined. Right. We all get on planes all the time these days. And yet at some point, somebody had to say, like, I think I want to go up there and move from A to B 30,000 feet. up. <laughs> let's let's go. Right. That takes incredible courage. And there are a lot of bumps along the way. But look at us now. Right. We're not just going around the world. We aren't just going from you know New York to Paris. We are going into space yeah and there's you know, possibility there as as, as you were as, as you're you're talking through that you know I, it makes me think of a couple things um one to create that 
that psychological safety, that learning environment, and to create a learning space. And by space, I've said this in some other uh, podcast episodes, I don't just mean physical space, but I mean the mental space, the emotional space. I call it purposeful play, but to tinker, to let kids just navigate and work through um, whatever the the, the challenge is the problem, the task at hand, whatever it might be, where there might be multiple answers. And along the way, we're going to hit a lot of bumps along the road, but to give them time to kind of work through that and not be so chiseled down that we've got like 10 minutes here. And then we got to transition here and do 15 right. minutes here. And then we got to do this. And you can't get through that kind of that meta learning of who am I and how do I work, let alone how to like do the authentic work, whatever um, that is, where that's project-based or problem-based or insert your your flavor of whatever thing yeah. you want to use because they're all good and valid. So I don't want to, mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't want to leave any out, but I don't want to diss any either. But I think about a couple things that have happened. I, I think about the, the the spaces I'm going in and working with those that, that get it, spaces where it's new, spaces where like I, 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 go in and run a PD and it's literally silent. Um, and this is by the adults. I think about an opportunity where we got the chance to share with some student f- future teachers in a student teaching seminar. What I don't know if they know how to do what you're asking or like what I'm asking, like, how do we ask those questions? How do we help kids work through that? Because if I have a curriculum, and it tells me I have to do page 49 and read this thing and then give this test. And I must be on the same page as everybody else. Like that's kind of how I, not all teaching and training. So, cause I can't verify yeah, that, no. but like that's, I feel like that's where a lot of kids are coming out of. They're not coming out equipped to how do I engage in a conversation when the group dynamics, they're, they, they don't know how to work together. And the answer can't be, we'll figure it out. Or Johnny, yeah. you're you're gonna go work by yourself because you obviously aren't a good team member. Like, what is how do we get to the core of that? How do I yeah. guide questions? How do like I don't know if we are equipped to be able to navigate those types of questions and environment, which I think then leads to a thing of fear, which then kind of unfortunately leads to this like learning environments of compliance and obedience. Cause I can control that narrative, right? You'll be quiet. You're going to do this task and we're going to have this test. And actually we're going to, we're going to have tests three days a week. I don't know what we're going to be testing on, but I can control that. I can, I can, I can put, I, I can, I can handle that. What I don't know what to do is what happens when, when Aaron asks me a question, I don't know, or Susanna is struggling with this. Um, What questions do I ask? Yeah. I can't, I can't, I don't have a document that tells me what to say. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I have, I have some, some mild entry points and at least the beginnings of, of all of that stuff. And so, um, you know, and same as you on all of these professional development things, um, for a long time, because everything I do, as I said, is grounded in critical thinking practices, I would start with a question, what are you thinking about today? And I still include that, but instead of that question, I back it up with the first question. So every room I'm in is, hi, how are you? are you okay? And that phrase right there, if every single teacher tomorrow walked into the classroom and and asked every single student directly, are you okay? That would change the game of what we call education because that's the number one thing that is the predictor for success for engagement, for production, for um, capacity to learn. 
We know that all the neuroscientists look at Jal Mehta's work, look at Harvard, all the Harvard scientists and the best neuroscientists in the world. They all say this, Nicole Triel, if you first make sure that people are okay and that they are in a, in a mental space that is at least okay, then they're going to be a lot more um, adept at the learning and, and ready for it. Right. That's going to happen. So I asked that question. And then as everybody like takes a second to think about that, and I say, okay, when was the last time you asked your kids, right? Like, and, and then, and oh, they kind of, there's that thing. And then the second question is, um, for me that I like to ask is, of course, what are you thinking about? Because we all come to the table as humans. And so whatever's on your mind right now may or may not be what's in front of us for the next 50 minutes. So let's just take a second to honor that, whether you like write it down on a post-it, take a second, you know, 20, 30 seconds to, you know, think about it, whatever it is, take a deep breath, just pay attention to what's really on your mind and giving kids that capacity and space is absolutely powerful. And you just model it with the, the teachers, get teachers to do that. And then they're like, oh man, like I'm actually thinking about my sick kid. I'm thinking about my mom who's in the hospital. I'm thinking about my dog who, you know, like whatever. Um, I'm thinking about my race this weekend, <laughs> whatever they're thinking. Yeah, they're, yeah. They've, they've got stuff on their mind that has absolutely nothing to do with the work. Right. And that's true for everybody. So are you okay? What are you thinking about today? And then to get into any conversation, it doesn't matter whether I'm talking about project-based learning or I'm talking about individualized practices or school transformation models, all the different things that I talk about in the, the realm of education. The next question is, what is the purpose of school? Why do we do school? And um, and I, I when I first started really digging into that and asking that question, I, I had some educators that were kind of came at me was I was in Buenos Aires and, and talking and they these wonderful women and after the fact they said that moment I almost walked out of the room I was so mad because I couldn't answer that question mm. and I was so mad at you for asking me that question Susanna and you know of course they're yelling at me in Spanish which is great but I was like I don't know what you mean. I know you're <laughs> mad at me but okay like I was so mad at you in that moment because you asked me this question that I couldn't answer and that made me feel horrible but then, you know, of course, I walk it around to then let's talk about this. And what does this mean? And why do we do this? And you do get there eventually. We do. The purpose of school is human development. The purpose of school is building our, our future societies. The purpose of school is taking care to connect as a community and to come together and to learn how to be in the world with other humans. There are a lot of great reasons for this. You ask a teacher then or any educator, OK, what is your reason for doing this thing we call school? Why do you do it? And that's, this again, the work I'm doing with um, Institute for Humane Education Group and conversation coming up in May and in the community, again, if you want to jump in um, specifically for leaders. But we're really like, then that question is, why do you do it? And then you move into, why does your institution do it? What's that mission and vision that's around that? Okay, now let's take all of these things. Most of them are about you and your humanity. And now how do we move into whatever is next, the content, right? It takes longer to get to that place, but it teaches us to practice that. And then again, my number one thing, if, if every educator tomorrow walked into the classroom and asked their kids, are you okay? And then what are you thinking about? We would know so much more about where they're at and what is their readiness for learning and what do they care about? Because ask any teacher that is super passionate about their content and curriculum, to connect it to other stuff in the world and they can, right? We can yeah. make connections between you're thinking about your, um, you know, your the farm and, you know, whatever's going on in your family farm and there's some stuff and it's planting season. It's, you know, the Midwest right now, it's, we're getting there, the ground is fine and 
planning all that stuff is is coming down the pipe. And so that's what is on the hearts and minds of a lot of kids. So thinking about that, well, okay, how can we think about that in relationship to whatever you're learning today? Come back to me at the end of the day and tell me something that connected to that particular thing that you actually care about. And just sparking those connections between something that is happening in their life and what's happening in their learning, that moves them forward and gets them excited and engaged and like, okay, this is relevant. Now I can do this thing called school because I have something that connects me to learning. That's it. Just and, so simple. No, I love and it. And humaning, and humaning, yeah. right? Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. Right. So just let's try that, everybody. Just no, see how it's that so goes. Good. And it's something that I think, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to take a whole lot of time. And it is in some ways common sense, but we get there's so much, there's so much pressure for so many things um, that we, it, it's really easy to lose sight of that and just say, oh my gosh, we gotta get going and dive into the work and get these things done. Um, right. and so it's just taking that that time to pause and you know, it was a, a a great educator friend of mine too that kind of piggybacks off that. And then, well, gosh, I could keep talking to you, but be respectful of time here. Um, you know, said like the the greatest measure of like the success of learning in the class. I mean, outside of the things you got to do is, you know, is 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 the learning that we're doing making it to the dinner table? Where are the kids actually excited to go home and like want to talk about it? And not just like, oh, it was it was fun, but like, man, we are like we're learning. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. and that engagement piece. Um, and so I think again, like we try to create that kind of authentic, that meaningful, something with a purpose and, right. you know, all the things that we know there, there's, there's plenty of research and structures and things to help right. student voice and choice and agency and all those yes. types of things that go into it. But I think, you know, rethinking what, what, what am I doing tomorrow in my classroom and, and, you know, we'll just make it home to the, the dinner table. And if not, you know, what could I do about it? You know, right. and also starting with this, like you said, Ask the kids, are you okay? And I think a key piece for that is the it doesn't mean that we have to if they if they're not that we have to have the solutions for that. It's to acknowledge, right? Like it's it's to acknowledge them yeah. and, and give them time to process through those things. Um yeah, because for some kids it's you know, they if they say if you say, Are you okay? and they say yes, then it's okay, great. But if they say not really, then say, Okay, are you able to be here? It's it's not even, yeah. I don't even have to know what is making right, me not okay right. if you don't feel like talking about it, but are you okay to be here? And if not, that's what we have counselors and principals and assistant, you know, deans for, right? And and that I hope is the thing that that we have gotten to at least. I don't know a lot of schools right now where it's not the case, where those there is that team of people that is ready to go. And so, you know, once I started asking that question, and um, and I'll never forget it, there was a kid who we knew he had a rough gig, even though he had really privileged parents, they did not pay good attention. And he spent a lot of nights on the street by himself and would show up. And I could tell those days, like, and when I started, you know, like, are you okay? And, and him, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, no, really? Because I, I honestly care. Like, are, if you're not okay, I want to know and, and no. And okay. What do you need right now? Do you need some space? Do you need to sleep? Do you need food? What, do you, what is it? What would make it a little bit more okay? And let's make that happen. And after he started to trust that and he would go to the office and take the nap or he would go talk to somebody or I just give him a snack or whatever it was because teachers always have the, we, we've got it we got the snack back we're ready to go like whatever it was it it was so interesting that he would just take that half hour or whatever it was to get more prepared and then the rest of his day would be better and he started staying in school more coming to school more often he was way more productive in the rest of his day and the rest of his classes and it really just flipped the grid for him to be able to know that like, actually, if I'm not okay, this is the place that's going to help me to be okay. 
this yeah. is my safe space and it's going to be there. Right. And, you know, we, I say that question really flippantly and in a really fun and positive way, but there are a lot of kids out there that need to be asked that question because they're worried about what's happened, right? Tennessee and, and, and right. Every single week, there's another thing and you. And we're crazy if we don't think the kids are aware of that and paying attention to it. And so if we're not taking a second to say, look, we, this happened and are you okay? Who needs to talk about it? How's, you know, what do we, what do we need to do to make sure that, you know, we're doing the best we can to keep you safe here. Think about it. If maybe some of these kids who had such difficult times prior to those violent acts, if somebody had asked them, are you okay? Yeah. And, and taken the time to get them whatever they needed because they were not okay. Right. So I think that there's something really powerful and let's just do this. Let's be humans together first. And the information and knowledge will always be there. We have way more of it than we ever had in the history of humans. We have way better access to all of the stuff. I can learn anything I want to right now today. I can go learn how to play the bongo drums if I want to. That can happen right now today. So we have access to the information. That's not the problem. The problem is how are we humaning to take better advantage of all of the knowledge? Mm. I love that. I love that. Great little uh, mic drop there to... uh... (laughs) Put it all, you know, you've given us so much to think about and, you know, as you were talking there at the end and it's that, that reminder, and we've heard this phrase in some shape or form a million times, you know, it's not like my kids, it's our kids. And I think you know, even for us as the professionals, just right. how do we continue to build that community, you know, for our kids, for ourselves, that we don't for have ourselves. to be the ones that have to have every answer and solve every single thing, but how do we work collectively? And I think that's sometimes... Now, sometimes I think that's really imperative that, you know, we take time to uh, make sure the professionals are, we're checking in with the professionals and make sure that we've got that support so we can go and do that support for for the students there as well. And so there's, you know, lots of layers of things I think if we all collectively, like you said, you know, work on humaning, um, a lot of things can move forward pretty, pretty quick by just doing what's needed and, you know, doing the right thing for each other and and, and ourselves, which you know, a lot of times that kind of gets pushed away, unfortunately, with all the system pressures and things that continue to pile up yeah. and, and, you know, not always addressing the uh, elephant in the room, or I should say elephants, because there's a lot of stuff uh, you said that kids yeah. are seeing and processing and. What and could you let go through. of? What's the one thing you could let go of to make space to know, to make sure that your educators are okay? Yeah, That's the question for every administrator. What could you do? And, and for every educator for each other, what could you let go of in your day that really isn't that important. It may seem important. It may have a sense of urgency because it's a deadline or a task that we've always done, but could you just let go of one tiny little thing to make space for making sure people are okay? And same thing for every teacher in the classroom. What's the one thing you could drop that would just make five extra minutes in the day to ask that question, right? Like it's not, it's not that hard. Let it go and watch how it becomes so not important in a very, very short amount of time. (laughs) You won't even remember it in a couple of weeks, let alone in a year. Yeah, right. That thing that was so important that you didn't want to let go of, you let go, and oddly, nobody cared. Yep. Yeah. And now we're better. <laughs> Everyone survives. <Yes. laughs> well, Susanna, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we've we've already gone over here a little yeah. bit, but uh, it's it's so good, and so powerful, and uh, I know it's going to resonate so much with the the listeners and. I know I'll put a link in uh, for people to check out what schools could be because there's a a wonderful community and online space for all the things that you're talking about, a whole collection of people um, sharing their stories and working through it, as well as the learning and support 
to to do all these things and and so much more. But if people want to learn more about you and your work, are there other places that they should go and check out? And I'll make sure it's all linked in the the show notes yeah. for everyone. Sure. Yeah. Individualizedrealized.com is the name of my company. Um, it's a terrible website because I'm too busy working <laughs> with people to get it together, but you can at least, you know, reach out to me there. You can yep, find my, yep. my access information and then we can talk about everything because it, it all comes out in these conversations. I don't work with any teacher, school or district without saying, tell me what's going on with you and what you want and who you are <laughs> and then right, where you want right. to be and let's get there together. Right. Um, so yeah, individualizedrealize.com. You can always find me through what school could be as well. And, you know, just all the different ways, but, um, I'm thrilled to have this conversation, Aaron. Yeah. I didn't even realize how much time had gone by because it's always a, a joy and a pleasure to talk with you because we're thinking about how do we keep moving this forward and taking care of everybody, not just for your kids, but for all of humanity. I don't even have kids. I'm thinking about my community all the time and I'm, who is going to be joining me in this society as they get through this and what kind of a state of mind are they in and how are we going to move forward for what's what's right and then as every educator has in their hearts it's always like i just love i love the kids i love the learning i love the future it's going to be great if we can come together in a right way yeah i absolutely love it and uh i can't thank you enough for taking time to chat with me today truly uh incredibly thoughtful heartfelt and i think it brings us back to the core of why we do a lot of this work why we show up every day for these kids and uh, it's a good reminder to rethink or reemphasize or just further cement what is the purpose of school and doing those things that matter uh, for ourselves and for others so thank you thank so you. much for this conversation i i, I think it's going to be a much needed um message to go out especially as time of this recording as we all head into that kind of final wave of education where we hold on tight and hope to make it through uh so it's it's, it's perfect timing in a lot of ways so i can't thank you enough for uh making some time for me today thank you and everybody who's going to be listening to it later because they don't have time Woo! you made it it's summer <laughs> <laughs> Woo! enjoy yeah thanks Aaron. such a yeah, pleasure yeah thank you Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Chaos.